0: it is uh, good to be with you guys again this morning i uh, come to you with a heavy heart today um yesterday afternoon uh ann's husband johnny johnny long passed away and uh, and i would just ask you to remember ann and ryan in your prayers uh, going forward as they uh, do their best to kind of grieve through this process and so i just ask you to remember them in your prayers and and to uh, to lift them up often uh, before the lord i'm so glad that you're with us today we're live streaming today uh And it gives me an opportunity to just kind of address you a little more personal, I think, and to be able to to share my heart with you as we prepare uh, to regather together very, very soon. Um, As we make preparations, though, to regather, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to sanitize our buildings, uh, a lot of work that needs to be done to train some volunteers to best serve you uh, when you come back. And I believe there's still some work that needs to be done uh, inside of each of us to make sure that our hearts are right and that our hearts are ready for when we come back together as God's people, that, that the, the regathering is a positive thing and not a negative thing. Uh, every pastor that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks is really wrestling with everything that's got to get done to be able to uh, stay in compliance with our state and to stay in compliance with uh, those that are uh, charged with keeping us safe. Uh, and the big question is, how do we get our people together soon? But how do we get our people together safely? And so we've been wrestling with those things. And I've talked to a lot of different pastors that, and, and, and I think there's a, a common feeling for, for all of us. And that is we feel this, this huge responsibility to do all that we can to prepare our buildings and our people and and, and all the elements uh, to be able to prepare those things so that we can best protect our people. And uh, so that we can uh, make sure that those that God has put us uh, in charge of protecting that we do our best to to protect them. And so that's part of our heart is not to drag our feet, not to go slow, but to go safe and to make sure that what we're doing is uh, something that when we regather, our people can stay safe. I, I tell you the truth, I'd feel horrible uh, to get everybody back together and then to have an outbreak of this virus in our church and to see some of our people harmed by that. And and then uh, especially if we don't take every precaution that we can to make sure that we're safe. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, we can take every step and every precaution possible and known to man right now. And still end up with, with issues and problems. There's no way to guarantee 100% that, that we can be safe and that everybody can be protected. Uh, familiar with a nursing home in Lake Charles um, that uh, has a couple of our members that are, that are residents there. And uh, that, that nursing home from the very beginning took every step possible to make sure that COVID did not enter into their unit. They check every single employee, every single nurse, every single person that walks through the door. Uh, They check them on the way in the door, they check them halfway through their shift, and they check them again before they leave. They check their temperatures, they do everything they can to keep those residents safe. And yet this week, um, one of their nurses, who is checked again three times a shift, uh, showed no signs, no symptoms, uh, nothing that would indicate that she had COVID, and yet she was a carrier of this disease and now 15 of their residents are uh, are diagnosed positive with COVID so we can take all the steps necessary and still not know for sure that we're protecting people but I think that we need to do everything we can to make sure that we're doing all we can to keep you safe when you come back and so uh, some churches are regathering today I've talked to other pastors who are going to wait out phase one because phase one is a phase that nobody's going to like and they're going to stick it out and wait for phase two or phase three Uh, and they'll start up in June sometimes. Others have talked about July and even August before they regather. Uh, I've met with our elders and talked with them and I think that we can take some steps uh, and some precautions to allow us to to reopen a little bit sooner to regather uh, as we gather together. And so we have decided that we're going to do everything we can to begin regathering next weekend. We are limited to a 25% occupancy of our building, which means that basically we can have 40 people in our building at one time, and that's the limit. Uh, We worship with a lot more people than that on every Sunday, and so we're gonna have to go to multiple services, and uh, and each of our services will kind of be designed specifically for a specific group, and uh, and we'll let you decide which group fits you best, but uh, I'll explain some more of that a little bit later on in my message. But in order for us to regather and for that regathering to be successful, it's going to require a lot of spiritual maturity on each of our parts. Uh, if, if I didn't believe that our church possessed that kind of maturity, if I didn't believe that our members had this kind of a heart, then I would push back and, 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 and insist that we wait longer until we know that it's safer. But I believe that we have a church that's always demonstrated maturity, that's always demonstrated a, a sacrificial love for other people. And so I, I feel confident that as we gather back together and we show that maturity and we show that faith and that love, that we can do so uh, safely and that we can gather back together. Uh, I believe that our attitudes and our actions that we bring back with us to church uh, will either make this regathering one of the sweetest times of fellowship that we've known in a long, long time. Or if we don't, it could also be one of the most devastating times that we've ever seen in the life of our church. Uh, the opinions about the seriousness of the virus range uh, from one extreme to another with people at, at every point in between. And so as we gather back together, just come realizing that somebody's going to have a different opinion than you do about the virus. Some will take it a lot more serious than you. Some will take it a lot more lightly than you. But we, we come back together with this wide range of opinions. And if the love of Christ does not permeate our attitudes and if it doesn't undergird our actions, then we could find ourselves in a bad place really, really quick as a church. Uh, I hope that this morning you will allow me to reveal my heart to you, that you will not just listen to my words, but you'll hear the heart out of which those words will flow and that you'll understand uh, what we're trying to accomplish as we regather the church back together. So as we regather uh, and bring everybody back together, uh, I believe that God's desire is that we don't just regather a part of the body, Some churches are saying we're going to regather all of our healthy people and leave all the sick people at home Uh, or all those that are at high risk back at home or all those that are a little bit older can stay at home. And and, and while I think that that may be wise and that may be what some people choose to do. I want to be able to offer uh, something for everybody so that if you want to come back to church, you can do so safely. You can do so and know that we're taking the precautions that we can so that you can come back into worship. I think it's, it's God's desire that, that it not just be part of the body that regathers, but that the whole body of Christ has the opportunity to, to regather. I think Jesus makes it clear in his teachings. That every single person is valuable every single person is important and every single person deserves the opportunity to come and to worship their Creator and so uh, we're gonna try to structure our gatherings where every part of the body can return and can worship safely now you're gonna have to decide for yourself whether you're ready for that whether you feel safe and secure doing that and maybe after you listen to some of the things that we're gonna try to do it'll help you to have a little more confidence and to uh, to be able to to feel a little more confident about returning uh, to worship with us. And so uh, this is, this is going to be where your, your love and your maturity will make a huge difference as we try to regather and to worship together safely. If you've got your Bibles out, I wish you'd open up today to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, two chapters where Paul is dealing with the, the, the use of the rights that we have in Christ. And, uh, and so what I want us to do is to, to look at those two chapters today. It's a lot of stuff to cover, but we're going to move pretty quickly through that because I want to save a little bit of time at the end to talk to you about how we will go about regathering safely. Um, if we can learn to display the love and the maturity that Paul demonstrates in this passage, if we can respond the way that Paul responds, then I think we... We'll see a church that's unstoppable. A church that will uh, will be able to move forward with confidence. That will will instill confidence in its people, and that will demonstrate the love of Christ to the world that's watching to see how the church handles this this regathering together. So if you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter eight and chapter nine, let me give you a quick background so you understand where we're coming from and what Paul's dealing with. The, the spread of Christianity has been very, very rapid. And, and so now you've got a whole lot of new believers. Uh, you've got some that are, that are gonna grow at a different rate than others. And so the maturity level within the church, just like it is in our church, is at all different levels. You've got folks that are, that are uh, discovering this great freedom that they have in Christ, which they did not have in Judaism. Uh, They've come out of Judaism, many of these new believers, and and there's this great big freedom, and there's always a tendency when you discover the freedom that you have in Christ to want to take that freedom and just bulldoze straight ahead. Some of these believers were doing that. They said, man, we have got incredible freedom in Christ, and and, and we're going to take that freedom, and we're going to run wide open. But what they were doing is they were plowing over other people who did not quite understand that freedom. And and so they were free, but there was a danger of them using their freedom wrongly. And and so some, enjoying their freedom, uh, decided that they could eat the meat that was offered in in the idol temples. Uh, That meat was probably cheaper. It was was meat that was widely available. People would come and sacrifice in these false uh, temples. And then the meat would be available for folks to eat. And some of these believers said, listen, man, meat is meat. Idols are nothing. They, they don't mean anything. And so we can eat anything that we want to eat because we are free in Christ. But in so doing, their faith and their freedom was becoming a stumbling block for those whose faith and their freedom was not at that level yet. And, and so there was a danger of them using their freedom wrongly. Uh, their argument was that if idols are not real, then this meat has been offered to nothing. It's, it's not, it's not tainted. It's not unholy. I I can eat it. And their thought was this, if you were just mature like me, then you would see it the way that I see it and you wouldn't have a problem either. And, And many didn't understand Paul says in this passage, many didn't understand it that way. Their faith may not have been at that level, Uh, And so their their strict upbringing taught them that idols were evil and that anything connected with idols was therefore evil. And and it created this great inner conflict for them. I believe many of them uh, that, that abstained from eating this meat offered to idols were made to feel small. Well, your faith is just not big. You just don't understand. You just have a lot to learn. And they were belittled because they weren't at that place just yet.
1: And I think those who didn't want to be belittled just joined in and said,
0: okay, well, I'll join you and we'll do that. And then they got back home and their consciences began to, to plague them. They felt guilt and they felt shame and they felt distance from God because they had done something that down deep inside, they, they still weren't convinced was right. And so Paul addresses the, the question about meat offered to idol in chapter eight. And then he comes back in chapter nine and he says, this is not just a principle about food. But this is a principle that Paul applied to all of life. And he's going to take it very, very personal and talk about his, his role as an apostle and the the responsibility of the church to support the apostles. And then he's going to talk about how he laid down that right. So I'm just to dive into these chapters and, and to look in chapter eight where he tries to answer the question of what it means to lay down your rights and to lay down your freedom uh, in order to build up your brother. And then chapter nine where he illustrates how he was committed to doing that in every single part. Of life. And so I want us to look at these and I want us to measure ourselves against this, this, this example that Paul gives us of Christ's love in action. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it starts off and it says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. Now, there he is answering the question. He says, We know that we all possess knowledge. In other words, everyone's got an opinion, uh, everyone's got uh, their own ideas of what's right and what's wrong in this. He says, But here's the key. And this is, I think, key for all of us as we come back together as the body of Christ. He says, I want you to understand that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, when I think I'm right, it's easy for me to become prideful and arrogant and just to bulldoze over people. But if I'm living by the law of love, then I'm going to do what I do to make sure that my actions and my attitudes build other people up. He says, the man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know as he ought to know. In other words, those who were claiming that they knew about freedom, they knew that they had these rights. He says, they're still missing something. If, If all we act upon is this knowledge, but we leave love out of the equation, then we don't know as much as we think we know. So he contrasts that the man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know. But the man who loves God is known by God. There's that relationship with him that's demonstrated by the love of God that flows through our actions and through our attitudes. So then he says, then about eating food offered to idols, he says, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. This is the argument that that these with the freedom were making. Idols are nothing at all in the world, and there's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us as believers, there's just one God the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there's just one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But, he says, not everyone knows this. There were brand new believers who had been so raised to believe one thing that their their, their transformation has not occurred yet. Their maturity has not reached the level that other people's maturity has reached. So he says, while we know this, there's other people that don't know this. And some are so still accustomed to the idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as being sacrificed to an idol. They still have that association, even though it may not be real. And even though as they mature in their faith, they may not see it that way forever, but for right now they do. And he says, since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. So they defile their conscience in, in trying to participate and be like everybody else. Verse eight is a, is a key verse, too. He says, but here's the thing that we got to remember. Food does not bring us near to God, and we're not worse if we don't eat, and we're not better if we do eat. In other words, food is a neutral thing. Whether you're eating food to an idol or, 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 or just regular food, it's not going to make you closer to God or, or less close to God. That's, that's the truth. But so food is not an essential belief. It's not an essential item. It's not something that we can do. And so he says, be careful then that the exercise of your freedom... Does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And this is the undergirding principle that Paul's gonna build his his whole life, his whole philosophy on, is that through the exercising of his freedom, he doesn't want to become a stumbling block to those whose faith is not as strong and, and as mature as his. And we've got to be very careful that in the living out of our faith, whether it's through a virus or through any other time in life, that the exercising of our freedoms that we have in Christ does not become a stumbling block to others. There's a whole lot of talk today, some of it even within the church, about the rights that we have by the Constitution of the United States. But I want to call you to a higher law. I want to call you to the law of Christ, the law of love that says, you know what, we may have been given some rights by the Constitution, but we live by the law of love that Christ has placed in our hearts. And so that's what Paul's saying here. He says, be careful that in exercising the freedoms that have been given to you, that you don't just plow over others unaware of how your actions may affect their spiritual maturity. He says in verse 10, for if anyone with a weak conscience sees you and, and has knowledge, uh, this knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what's been sacrificed to idols? In other words, if they see you doing some things, won't that encourage them to do the same thing? And then he says, but this weak brother for whom Christ died, that's, I that's a powerful phrase. Our brother for whom Christ died. You've got to remember that the person you sit next to in church is a person that Jesus died for. The person that has been invited to come to our church is a person that Jesus died for. They're valuable to Christ and they need to be valuable to us. He says, this weaker brother who may not be at the same level that you are, but they're still valuable to Christ. Christ died for them, but they get destroyed by your knowledge. Paul's not asking us to diminish our faith. Paul is asking us to demonstrate our faith by not walking over others with the freedom that we've been offered in Christ. In fact, he goes so far in verse 12 to say this, that that when you do this, when you plow over your brothers, he says, you sin against your brothers in this way by wounding their weak conscience. And so you sin against Christ. When we take the freedoms that have been offered to us by the scripture that are legitimately ours, but we exercise those freedoms without giving a thought to how it affects anybody else, then that can become sin against our brother and sin against our savior. And Paul says that we need to be careful about that. And so Paul, who is the apostle, who has seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, who who has started these churches and, and is the leader of those churches, Paul had the right to demand anything he wanted of those churches that was within a biblical bounds. But what I see here in the passage is that Paul doesn't pull out that trump card and say, let me tell you, this is what you have to do. But what Paul does, is says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Knowing that the eating of meat offered to idols is offensive to some and it wounds their conscience and it defiles their conscience and not wanting to sin against my brother and not wanting to sin against Christ. I've made a decision in my own life, Paul says, and here's what it is. In verse 13, he says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again. I will give up my rights to eat meat if that will keep my brother from stumbling or falling or defiling his conscience. I will stop it forever. And he says, I do that so that I'll not cause him to fall. Paul is saying that the rights that were promised to him and the rights that were guaranteed to him, those were less important to him than his brother. And that's the attitude that we need to have. That's the attitude that we talked about that Jesus had, as we examined the, the attitude that was in Christ that needs to also be in us. And so Paul is saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna do it the way Jesus did it and I would encourage you to do the same thing. So as a leader who could have issued some kind of authoritative order, Paul says, what I'm gonna do instead is ask you to consider this and to follow me and here's how I'm gonna do it. If, it. if it offends my brother or if it puts my brother at risk, that I'm never gonna do that again. And he gives up his right to eat meat. Now, Paul in chapter nine, like I said, he he shows that this principle is not just about food, but it's about all of his life and all of his attitudes that he carries forward. So in chapter nine, he comes into a long passage here where he talks about his freedom in Christ personally. Verse one, he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the, the result? Of our work in the Lord? In other words, aren't, aren't you here because we're doing what God's given us? We are we're legit. And we've been given great authority and great rank and the right to demand that you guys take care of us. And so here's the deal. These, these, these church was not supporting Paul, although Paul had a right to demand that they support him because he's gonna lay out a biblical defense here. He says, do we not have the right to food and to drink? Do we not have the right to, to take a believing wife with us wherever we go? Do we not have the same rights that other pastors have? But then Paul's going to say in chapter nine, but I have never claimed those rights because I don't want to do anything personally that might be perceived in a way that would hinder the spread of the gospel. You remember the Corinthian church was a a very pagan, it was was planted in a very pagan environment. There was a lot of suspicion about Christianity, a lot of suspicion about these preachers. There was a lot of false prophets that were out there that were just in it to make a living, to make a profit, to get rich. And Paul didn't want to take a chance to hinder the gospel by focusing on his rights to have a salary, his rights to be supported, his rights to, to draw an income from the church. Even though he says the Bible says I have a a right to those things. He says, I have never, ever, ever demanded that right. Look down in verse 12. He says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more, but we did not use this right Instead, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than to hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, man, I have a right as an apostle, just like every other preacher, to, to, to expect the churches to help support me so that I can do the ministry that God's called me to do. But he says, I've never used that right. I've never demanded that right. In fact, he says, I would rather put up with anything than to hinder the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say the Lord's commanded that those that preach the the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. And then he says, I'm not even writing this so that you'll start doing it. I'd rather die than to have that happen. He says, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to lead you by example and show you how that setting aside our rights is not only biblical, but it's Christ-like in what I do. And so he talks about preaching the gospel and to preach it voluntarily. And then in verse 18, he says, so you're going to ask, well, what is my reward? If I don't get a salary and if I don't get support and I don't get those kind of things that other people are getting, then what's in it for you, Paul? And Paul's answer is this. He says, verse verse 18, what's my reward? My reward is this, that in preaching the gospel, I might offer it free of charge, just as it came to Paul, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. So though I'm free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And then he goes through all those people that he, has, that he has, has gone to and how he's tried everything he can to reach them. He says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I'm not under a uh, man's law, uh, but I am under the Lord's law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win those that are weak. Five different times in four verses, Paul says the goal of him doing what he did, laying aside his rights, is to win as many people to Christ as possible. Paul, who could have drew a great salary, who could have lived very comfortably, refused to do any of that in order that it not be tagged on him that he was in it for the money. He said, this is not just about food. This is about my daily needs that I would set aside in order that I could communicate the gospel freely and I could win as many people to Christ as possible. So he says here, I did it so that by all possible means I might save some. And then he closes by saying in verse 23, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now Paul could have commanded or even demanded their compliance, that they support him. But he chose instead to leave room for them to willfully choose out of their own hearts to follow his example. He's, he's dealing with the, the food offered to idols. He's dealing with, with ministers being supported. He's dealing with those issues and he says, I've never demanded my rights. All I've done is to focus on how to best get the gospel out and how to best make Uh, the the biggest impact for the kingdom of God. I think as a body of Christ, that's what God has called us to do. And and, 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 in this deal, Paul says, I I just wanna teach and lead by example and show you how I'm gonna do this. And I hope that my example will bring uh, an awareness and a conviction and that you'll choose to follow me as I follow Christ. So as I read this passage, I think about where we are as a church and I think about where we are as a nation. And I think about all those who are out there demanding their rights and not willing to lay down anything for the good of others. And so in this day when so many are demanding their rights, I want to call you to a higher standard. I want to to call you to this this call of Christ to put others first, to put the gospel first and foremost. to, To gladly lay aside your rights if you need to so that the gospel is not hindered. Now, again, I want you to hear my heart, that that every single worshiper is important to God. We've got folks in our church that, that, that may have health issues that you're not even aware of yet. And so if we don't take every precaution that we can as a church. They're going to be excluded from being able to come back and to be a part of our worship. But every worshiper is important to God. And so I think that we as a church should do everything possible to allow as many people as possible to be able to regather with us. In order for all of our church family to participate, we need to do our part to make sure that this place is kept clean and safe and that the things that we do while we're here don't put people in danger or at a higher risk for... Um, for contracting this this virus Uh, again some have these private health issues that they've not made you aware of and that you don't even know that they're struggling with. that put them in a higher risk category that make them more vulnerable for the virus and if we're not doing everything we can as a body of Christ all of us together then they're going to be excluded and they're going to be left aside and so to be careless in our approach would eliminate their participation it might even wound their heart to think that we didn't care enough for them to do all that we could And that could affect their spiritual growth and affect their relationship with Christ and their relationship with the church. And so I want, as we regather for us to to know that we're doing everything that we can. And I want them to know that we're doing everything that we can to help. And so if each of us will exercise caution and demonstrate grace coated with, with great love, uh, then it would open the door for most of our folks to be able to return. So as we began to just kind of lay out a plan, for how we can safely regather. I, I, I've done so, and, and we talked to our leaders doing this, knowing that there's some things that are just going to be true about this regathering. And, and, and it's been said like this, phase one is a phase that nobody's going to like. It's going to be different. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to seem odd. It's, it, it, we do get to come back, but it's, it's not going to be like it was before we left. And so, uh, you know, it's not ideal, and, and most people will not like it. But we gather this way, knowing that phase one's not going to last forever. We gather together knowing that some will think we're moving way too fast while others think we're going to be moving way too slow. We gather together knowing this, that our sacrifices that we'll be called to make are going to be great. And the reward that we're going to receive is going to be delayed. You're not going to see immediate results because you sacrifice. But, but results will come and rewards will be delayed. We're going to see that our desire to, to fellowship with one another is stronger than ever. And yet the ways that we have to achieve that reconnection are going to be different than before. As I said the other day, we we're used to showing love without restraint. That's, that's what we do as believers, but right now we're showing our love by exercising some restraint by not coming in and just hugging every person that you see, because we know that that's one way the virus is transmitted. We we want to come in, and and even though we know there's going to be risk, no matter how many precautions we put in place, we want to minimize that risk so we can maximize people's participation. So how do we do this? Well, here's some things that we're going to ask of you, and we'll post these things on our website so that you can go back and and review them and, and, and become familiar with them. But here's some things that we were going to ask of you as we regather. First, we'd ask that when you come, that you come through the, the back door of the church, that you come through the main entrance, because at that entrance, we're gonna have some people there with some hand sanitizer that they'll offer you so that you can sanitize your hands before you come in and make sure that that uh, that as best you know, you're, you're clean. Uh, we'll have somebody there that'll open and close the door for you so you don't have to touch doorknobs and, and get the doorknob dirty and get yourself dirty and, and be exposed to that. We'll, we'll take care of the door, we'll have some hand sanitizer, so we ask you to come through the, the, back, uh, the back entrance. Um, Again, I can't command you to do this, although I would love to do that. But we're gonna uh, we're gonna be wearing masks. Uh, I'm gonna be wearing a mask while I'm here. I would I would ask that you would consider doing the same thing. Uh, if you have a cloth mask, uh, bring that with you and just slip it on when you come in uh, and and wear that while you're here in our buildings. Uh, if you don't have a mask, then uh, we've we've got several that we'll make available to you if you would like that. And again, we can't command or demand that you wear a mask but this mask is not to protect you please understand this people get this confused but the mask is not to protect the person who's wearing it the mask is to protect those around you that 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 your breath and that your 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 water molecules that come out when you speak that they don't get on somebody else. That's what the mask does. It protects others. And so you wearing a mask doesn't say that you're afraid. It says that you love others and that you're willing to protect them. And so we're going to ask you to take that step and show that demonstration of love to other people that, you know what? I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable. I'm willing to feel a little bit awkward. I'm willing to take this extra step to lay. I don't have to wear a mask. Well, that's your freedom, but I'm willing to set aside that freedom in order to allow others to come worship safely and securely and without fear. So I'm going to be wearing a mask. I'll probably take it off while I preach, but I'm going to put it right back on when I'm done. And we would ask that when you come in that you slip on your mask. If you don't have one, we'll have somebody at a table that has some some free masks that have been made and and purchased for you. And we will uh, offer that to you if you want it. If you don't want it, then we can't make you wear that. But man, I sure wish that you would. And so we'll we'll ask that you wear a mask and that you uh, that you do that and you show this love and this respect for others as you wear that. I want you to know that. Uh, that we're not allowed to offer any kind of child care stuff right now. No children's church, no nursery, which is going to make it a little bit more difficult for families with young children, but we're going to offer a special service just for those families. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in just a minute, but, but there won't be childcare. There won't be nursery. Uh, Kids don't know how to social distance. We can't put kids in the nursery who are all playing with the same toys. And, and and again, people can carry this virus and not even know that they've got it. And we would hate to, to spread that to our young children who will take it back home to their parents and their grandparents. And so no children's church. Um, We've taken all the pens and papers and pencils out of the church pews so that they're not being reused again and again by different people and you, you get germs and stuff on your hands. So we would ask you when you come to church that you bring your own pen, your own paper, uh, if you're one of the ones that gets cold in church, bring you a little blanket that you can bring in and cover up with because if you use a blanket in this service and somebody uses it in the next service, we could be spreading germs that way. And so we've taken those blankets out. And if you want one or if you need a jacket to slip on, uh, and you know if you're one that's normally cold, then just come prepared for that and uh, and be willing to do that. Um, in the past, we've had a coffee pot in the back that everybody can come and pump their own coffee and drink their own coffee. We're going to eliminate that for a little while at the request of the CDC that we not have those things out because then everybody that's touching it could be uh, spreading germs. And so if, if you need coffee to stay awake while I preach, bring you a cup of coffee and, uh, and, and bring your own with you. Uh, we're not going to be passing an offering plate. Uh, but we'll have our offering boxes in the back, and you can give in those offering boxes when you come in. They'll be by each of our entrances, and, and uh, you can drop your offering in there. You can still give online. You can still mail in a check, however you want to give, but, but we're not going to be passing an offering plate like we normally do. Uh, the, the chairs are going to be set up in clusters where as you come in, we would ask that you sit with your family, that you would uh, gather together as a family, those that you've been doing life with and that you're already uh, interacting with, that you guys sit together, but then we'll put distance between your family and the next family so that these two families are not taking a chance of, of, uh, of infecting each other. Uh, We'll ask that when you come in that you you find a a new way to greet. Uh, Usually we'll hug or we'll do a handshake. We're asking that you do an elbow bump or a toe kick or something kind of silly just to say, hey, I love you. But you find a way to do that where we're not, again, exposing one another uh, in this way. Uh, we're going to be cleaning our restrooms before and after every service, but, but there may be multiple people that use the restroom. and So when you go into the restroom, use good hygiene and wash your hands and, and you know, use, the, use the paper towel to open the doorknob so that you can keep yourself clean and, and, uh, and be safe that way. And many of you already do that anyway, but just things to be thinking about as we come back together. Um, another thing that we're going to do is to close off uh, all the unused classrooms that, we, uh, that we're not using right now. Uh, that will save us a whole lot of time and energy and money of having to go back and re-sanitize every single classroom because if the doors are open and children run in and out and do all the different things or people are in and all those rooms then we've got to go back in there and try to re-sanitize that and so we're just going to close off the rooms that we're not using and, um, and uh, if you... If you are a group or your gospel community or somebody comes up and uses a classroom, we would ask that you would take some time and re-sanitize that when you're done or else let us know that you use that room so that we can re-sanitize it and get it ready for the the next group to be able to use. Uh, Next week when we gather together, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And uh, What we've done to to be as safe as possible is we've ordered these uh, Lord's Supper cups. They are kind of unique cups in the top of them. They have a a wafer. You'll peel back and be able to eat the wafer. Uh, And then you'll peel back again and have the juice, and we can share the Lord's Supper together. I do want to say to those of you that uh, have a gluten allergy that we tried to buy gluten-free, could not find those anywhere. So these wafers are gluten. So if you're a gluten-free person and you're going to be with us next week, you may want to bring you a little wafer that you can eat and participate with us because we tried to do that, but weren't unable uh, to find those types of things in this type of a packaging. So... um, Anyway, those are just some things to keep in mind as we begin to regather. So here's, here's the thing. We are, we're going to regather, but we're limited to a 25% capacity. Now, when we do the math, that means we can have about 40 people in our sanctuary at one time, and that's all. That's all the state's allowing us to do, about 40 people at a time. And so what we're going to do is offer multiple services geared toward specific groups, uh, it'll be the same message, the same music in all three services, so you're going to get the same thing no matter which one you come to, but we're going to have three different uh, messages, three different, I mean, three different uh, gatherings, and we want you to pick the one that best fits your needs. So let me describe when we're going to meet and how we're going to meet, and then you can pick the time that you th- feel fits you best. Uh, Saturdays at five o'clock we're going to offer a worship service here we're going to target our senior adults and those that are at high risk in this first service part of the reason for that is I want to get them in our building while we still know that everything is super clean I want them to come in and know that we have sanitized everything as best we can and that everything is, is as good as it can be when they come in and so those that are that are senior adults 65 and older or if you're 60 and you want to come or whatever if you if you just feel like you're at high risk if you got medical conditions that would put you in those high risk categories and you want to come to that then this will be a service that we would gear towards you it will be on Saturdays at five o'clock okay right here at our church and uh and we believe that that, that would be the safest time for for those that are at higher risk to meet. Then we get to Sunday, and Sunday at nine o'clock, this will be when we live stream to Facebook, and so if you're gonna be staying at home and watching, that time's gonna change from 10 o'clock to nine o'clock. We're gonna live stream at nine o'clock on Facebook in our Sunday morning service. This will be for our general population, for those who are at a little bit lower risk, who uh, just want to come and gather and worship, then, then we can have 40 people that will gather here for that service at 9 o'clock. And then we'll clean the buildings quickly. Uh, we'll start back at 11 o'clock, and our 11 o'clock service is going to be geared toward uh, primarily those families that have young children, uh, those that would normally send a kid to the nursery or, uh, or our, our toddler-age kids or those who are, you know, first, second, third grade elementary, uh, about that age group, those with a little squirmers, you know, that, you, that you're going to have a hard time corralling. We're going to take our chairs and kind of put them in a little circle for each family and you can be there and bring your kids with an activity bag uh, some quiet toys a coloring sheet colors whatever they like to do some of them uh, do ipad stuff that they can do quietly but but you you'll be gathered as a family and, and why we're doing it for families with young children is this that we know from past experience that it's hard for a mom and a dad to focus into worship when they're worried that their kid might make noise that would affect the next person But if everybody in there's got kids, we know it's going to be a little bit louder. That service is probably going to be a little bit shorter. um, But it's going to allow those parents to relax and to worship with their kids together. And uh, while it's not ideal, we understand that. It is a solution for families that have young children. So we'll have a service geared just for families with young children. And uh, that will be Sunday. 11 o'clock and so uh, just bring them an activity bag uh, bring them some things that that they can participate in again bring their own colors and their own pencils and that kind of thing because we're gonna have all that stuff removed but bring them here and so we think that by dividing up this way we can meet the state guidelines uh, and and be within the the framework of what they've asked us to do and at the same time offer a venue for all of our people to be able to worship and again we'll post all this on Facebook so that you will uh, that you'll see that on our website I mean it'll be out there Uh, we'd ask you to help Get that word out to those that maybe not be on uh, on the internet and may not have access to that. Help us to get the word out to others of, of when we'll be meeting. So Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9, and Sunday at 11. And uh, again, it's not ideal. It's not normal. But I think it can work if we're willing to make those sacrifices. So I would love for our church to give our community a glimpse of what Christian sacrifice really looks like. What it means to set aside our rights for the good of others. What it means to, to be a little uncomfortable in order that others can be comfortable and can worship. Uh, Let's show them our willingness to sacrifice for others. Now, I I want to ask you to do this. Let love drive your attitudes and your actions. Not fear, not pride, not arrogance, not demanding your rights. Let love, the love of Christ, let that drive your attitudes and your actions. Let's, Let's make worship safe for everyone to attend. Safe for everyone who who wants to be here to be a part of that, even if it means extra work, and it will mean extra work on my part and on your part. We're going to need tons of volunteers to pull this off. When you try to run three different services, that triples the number of volunteers that you need to be able to run things. We're going to need three people to help us with sound and three to do the computer and three to do video. We're going to need three different people to help us with the doors and, and to do the sanitizing to open and close the doors. It's going to require a lot of help. We're going to need people to help us set up and rearrange chairs and to move them around as we, we configure for different types of services for different types of people. We're going to need folks that will be here to, to wipe down doorknobs, to help clean the bathroom. to to mop the tile floors and to get them clean and sanitized in between our services. And so we're going to need a ton of volunteers. And I would ask that you contact me and let me know. Uh, You can contact us through Facebook. You can contact me through my cell phone if you've got that number. But we ask you to contact us and let us know if you want to volunteer because this week we're going to be meeting with our volunteers and showing them what we want to do and how we want to do it. And so we need to get with you and train you this week so that we can do that. I believe that our selfless acts uh, can have an eternal impact. But I also believe that if we get selfish, that it can have a detrimental uh, impact upon people and do lasting harm. So I'm asking you to live selfless. I'm asking you to put others first. I'm asking you to think about the way that your attitude and your actions are gonna impact those around you. Crossroads has always had this reputation of sacrificial service and this over-the-top love that, that we have for others, especially for those in our community. But I want to ask you at this point, let's take those things to a whole new level. Let's go to a a whole new level with those things. Come next weekend. But come with other people's needs as your top priority. Come looking for a way to serve and to show respect and to show uh, restraint and and all those things that are going to be required as we gather back together. Uh, Not only will God bless that kind of attitude, but I think the kingdom of God will thrive. So as we close, let me say this. It's the worst of times right now, but we can be the best of people. And what I'm asking you to do is not to diminish your faith, but to demonstrate your faith, not to just demand your rights, but to set those rights aside and say, you know what, you're more important to me than any right that I've been given to come and to put others first. So demonstrate your faith by putting others first. As I tell you this, there's no other church that I'd rather do life with than you. There's no other church that I think can pull this off better than we can pull this off. But we've all got to do it together. and We've all got to work together. And so I'm going to try to set the example. And I'm going to try to set the tone. And I pray that you will, will do the same. That you'll come here with great love in your heart. Ready to worship. Excited to be back with the family of God. But, but realizing that we've got to do it in a way to keep our people safe. So that they feel safe enough to come and to worship beside you. And to be here and to be a part of that. So I look forward to being back with you next week. We'll be back live together. Uh, we will still live stream for those who have health conditions and can't be here. But that live stream will be at 9 instead of at 10. So we invite you to tune in if you can't come to be a part of that. But to come back as soon as you feel comfortable to be a part of our worship. Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9, and again at 11. And we'd ask you to come be a part of what God's doing here at Crossroads. I love you guys. I want to pray with you. And then we're going to close. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much just for the way that you love us, the way that you have provided opportunity now for us to regather as a church. And Lord, I pray that we would put others first, that we would walk together as God's people and that we would see you do great things in our midst. Lord, we look forward to being back together with our family. And Lord, we want to keep them safe. We want to do all that we can to make sure that their health is, uh, is uh, taken care of. And Lord, I just pray today that you give us wisdom in those, in those pursuits. Pray that you be with Ann and with Ryan as they grieve the loss of Johnny. And I pray, Father, you to show her what's next and help her uh, as she walks through that. And let us to walk with her, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I love you. And uh, we're going to get off of here now and uh, and wish you the best weekend. Pray that God walks with you this week. And if you want to volunteer, please be sure and, and see me. And please be sure and, uh, and let us know that you want to be a part of what we're doing. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.